You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hello and welcome to episode 119 of the Managemental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. This podcast is propelled by your input and feedback, so please rate and review and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. I am your host, Mr. Blasco, and as always, I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, Mr. Mike Mowry. Oh yeah. Yeah, here we are, 119. In the last episode, we chatted about how to get your music noticed. That was a really great episode, so check it out if you haven't already. This week, we talk about tips for touring musicians. This is gonna be killer, so let's get mental. Hell yeah. So, Mike, I found this article by Rich Nardo. On uh, uh, he wrote it for uh, TuneCore, but it was probably a guest post on Hypebot or something. Um, and it is titled "Avoid Dead Ends: Six Tips for Touring Successfully as an Independent Musician." And it starts off like this: If you were to survey 100 independent musicians who have spent at least a full year touring, I'm willing to bet that at least 75 of them are going to say the experience did not live up to their expectations. Touring is arduous, it's difficult, and there is by no means a guaranteed light at the end of the tunnel. It won't be easy, but if you're ready to take the risk and hit the road, here are six things that you and your bandmates can do in order to make it the most successful experience possible. Number one, promote your shows ahead of time. It seems like a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised how many bands go into a city for the first time without preparing and are shocked when they end up playing to just the bartender. The internet makes it easier than ever for every artist to promote their shows. Make sure you're promoting on your own socials and sourcing the venues pages for people to spread the word to. Also, do some research to find local press. Yeah, strength in numbers, essentially. It's one of those where the little things here have gone a really long way. And and look, you know, most of this is a type of article that's really geared towards you know, I think some of the developing artists, you name it, but mm-hmm. inevitably we do the same things at the bigger level with the artists that we deal with. You know, mm-hmm. don't think for a second that I might not be doing it directly. Somebody at the label or somebody on a tour marketing team is reaching out to the promoter to figure out all of the different methods of what properties exist that have somebody paying attention and how can we ensure that they are getting you know, uh, the information out there. And then as we talked about in other episodes, engaging with the people and continuing to do it, you know, it's sort of like in the old days, Blasco and I grew up in a, you know, you, you print stuff out on paper and if, uh, he was going to hit the record store and I was going to hit the, um, telephone poles, you know, and our show is a month out 
and we make the rounds on Saturday. Well, we got to go back the next Saturday because inevitably somebody's taken the 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 flyer down uh, from the telephone pole, and somebody's covered it up at the record store. And so we roll back in, and you know, Blasco re you know uh, takes the thing that's covering it up and moves our flyer to the upper left corner, and I go back and staple another one on the telephone poles, and that's our way of re-upping. Uh, the information. It's the same thing in the digital world, right? If I post something a month out, I can't just assume that people are going to go to that thing and see it. You know, I got to make a schedule and really look at how I can do it. And the beautiful thing about the internet is you can do it a little differently. Um, I mean, you know, going back to that simple adage of uh, the simple example, it's like, cool, I printed it on a green, you know, flyer one week, but I realized there's seven other, you know, green flyers out there. So why don't I change it to pink for the following week to try to get the same information out there, but do a little bit different of an attention grab. I'm going to point out something that probably most people don't know, Mike, but um, a lot of promoters really aren't very good at promoting. (laughs) And it's just a fact. Like, you know, who's going to be most enthusiastic about reaching your fans is you. A promoter is going to do, by and large, the bare minimum. They'll put an ad in the local paper, they'll put a post on their Facebook and create an an event. Um, But for the most part, these are not highly engaged scenarios. You know, you have to consider that you are the primary promoter especially when you're in just getting started, you know, and that's just, that's just a fact. You got to take that responsibility on yourself. Can't roll in and be like, Oh, this is fucking, this is lame. No one's here. It's the promoter's fault. No, this is not Marty Fufkin. This is not spinal tap. This is real life. And if no one's there, it's your fault. So why I love this podcast, right. Is I get to talk to another expert day in and day out. And what you just said is like, you know, you may not have even realized it, but by putting the simple term of primary promoter yeah. onto the band, you just kind of like revolution. You know, it's like, oh, wait, Blasco just made it super simple. He added the word primary <laughs> to the promoter. And it's sort of like, you know, you're in charge. The the other guy, yeah, he's technically the quote unquote promoter is what we call it in the biz. But if you're not the one trying to make sure he's doing his job correctly well then yeah dude's out to lunch you know if you go into the whatever job you're at and if if the manager's not there keeping people in line people are checked out and inevitably what we've seen and so dude it's just that that point can't be emphasized enough as the primary promoter what you have to do is make sure that that sub promoter if you will is doing their job. And really they can only do one part of that job. And as you said, they're busy. They're the sub promoter for 1500 other things. So you as the primary promoter have to make sure that everyone else is in check. The other bands, how many times have you and I, I mean, even on tours that we put together, we, I do an (laughs) audit. Literally I have an audit schedule, you know? Hey guys, you haven't posted about this in whatever time period is too long. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) You know, and it's like, 
don't you want to promote the event that we're doing? Some people just don't, you know, they don't realize that they're not doing it. Yeah. Um, and so what a, you know, it's one of these things like control what you can control. And this is a very simple thing that you can control. You can monitor these things and not, you know, when you're going in, you're approaching it as like, help us help you not, Hey dude, you're not doing your job. You know, it's, 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 you know, let's, let's all help each other here. Yes. Uh, number two, find the locals. Playing with a local band is by far the best way to put yourself in a position to get in front of a crowd that when you're away from your home market early in your career. That being said, it's important to do your research. Find a band that has a sound where their friends and fans would also enjoy your music. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty simple stuff and just in line with what I was just saying. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, especially as bands grow, the distance between when they were a local, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the time between them being a local and, and you know, now, uh, the greater distance that is, the more they take those locals for granted. Um, and, you know, again, if, if you, you know, psychology plays a huge part in what all of us do. You know, I had an experience. I, I, I went with one of our other podcast hosts over to interview somebody this week and it was so fascinating the guy's run a very successful record label for a long time and, and is in a band and he was talking about somebody who was running some you know a and r in a project and and he's like it, whatever he was trading war stories he talked about how this band had left the label and it was as simple as somebody told the band no and he goes i can't believe that they did that and he's like it's always yes but right like yeah Yes, we can look into that, but it may cost four times the amount, you know, but, and so it just reminded me of sometimes the simple psychology and when you're dealing with local bands, you know, treat them with respect, you know, again, incentivize them, get them amped up on how they're going to help you and by helping you, they're helping themselves. Everybody is in it for their own selfish reasons, whether we'd like to believe that or not. And so if you can present it in a way of, hey, man, here's the best way you're going to help yourself is by promoting the crap out of this thing. And therefore, you know, inevitably, you don't have to tell them that it's helping, you know, your band. You make it seem as if it's helping their own band. Yeah. So this is gold. Um, If you want to tour, make sure the promoters are connecting you are offering you up options for the local band as the opener. And then on the flip side of that, where you're from, buddy up with your local promoters and you become the local opener, right? So that people come to you for the band that opens up for the bigger bands. So uh, that's my tip on that. Number three, don't quit your day job yet. One of, if not the most stressful elements of touring is the fact that it requires a significant time requirement where traditionally you couldn't make money elsewhere. That is no longer true. If you're looking to transition into spending more time on the road promoting your music, start taking on freelance gigs or taking talking to your employer about letting you do your job remotely. Yeah, I mean, we're fortunate in so many ways. We're in a gig economy still where, you know, uh, when Belasco and I were coming up, I mean, I I was very fortunate. I had some jobs where 
they let me leave for extended periods of time. I don't know why they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was working as a computer programmer in early website days and, hey, I'm going to go to Europe for the next three months. Have fun. Uh, maybe there was, you know, maybe they couldn't find a better way of telling me uh, <laughs> that there was somebody better waiting to take over my job. I don't know. But, in, you know, I mean, now part of the beauty is, yeah, how many artists do we know that are out there doing graphic design? They're doing social media. They're doing, you know, that while they're on the road, they're coming home. They're able to pick up, you know, uh, shifts in, you know, uh, again, gig economy. They can do um, you know, task rabbit style, uh, errands, they can, you know, drive cars. There's so many things to do. And inevitably what I found is having something, you know, uh, as much as get Blasco and I will tell you, you gotta be dedicated at all costs, you know, to, to jump, whenever we say jump, you say how high you also have to have, you know, some sort of foundation that builds your muscles in your legs. So when we do say jump, and you say how high and we tell you how high it is, you can actually fulfill that. And that's what the job is, no matter what it looks like, is it provides you with that foundation from which to kind of, you know, be able to support yourselves while not on the road. So when you are on the road, you know, um, you know, you can you can, oh shit, you can actually get out there and be on the road and survive. Yeah. I mean, um, hate to point out the obvious here, Mike, but, um, I'm in a touring band and I run my own business remotely. So if anything, I'm just proof that, uh, it can happen. Absolutely. And you do a great (laughs) job of both. So, uh, number four, consider alternative venues. A great alternative to traditional venues are organizations like so far sounds that hold private concerts in a bunch of different cities. These don't always have a great payout, but so far events are guaranteed to have a packed room full of people that are so excited about finding new music that they are willing to sign up to go to a show without knowing the exact venue or lineup in advance. I mean, what a great example. And, and I've heard of so far sounds did a little bit of research, you know, if, if you're in the developing space, um, you know, there's probably some other things to do. But, you know, one of the simplest is what other events are occurring, you know, that you can latch onto. you know, obviously, when it comes to extreme music, it's harder to, to do that. But, you know, inevitably, I know we have singer songwriters that come to us. I mean, how many times have there been open mic nights at, you know, local coffee shops or bars? You know, how many times is it that there's a farmer's market that's looking for some something in the background? Again, it would be, you know, probably a little bit of a stretch to get a death metal band playing the farmer's market. But inevitably what other events that have people who align with you know similar sort of uh, tastes what can you look to there i mean again take it back to you and my years of cutting our teeth it was squats it Mm. was houses it was backyards it was whatever it may have been and inevitably what the internet allows you to do is really kind of see are there some just uh, out of the box ideas that might work better for you as opposed to the local club which has 15 other bands just like you knocking on the door every night of the week 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I know so many bands that book their own tours. Um, and so there's there's no excuse. Like I, I can't, I refuse to hear a band go like, well, we don't have an agent yet. Sorry, I've got, I can point to you to a dozen uh, other bands that have booked their own tours successfully and are out there doing it uh, without an agent or without a record label. So I refuse to have a band take no accountability in their own future. So if so far sounds is something to look into or alternative venues or backyard parties or whatever it is, there is seriously no excuse other than you're lazy and uh, uninterested and non-motivated to further your career if you say that you can't book shows. Um, Number five, invest in merch. The chance to make real money directly from your performance is probably a couple of years away if you're just starting out. But that doesn't mean you can't make money alternatively when you play shows. Young bands hitting the road for the first time will often make around $100 from the venue, but then add another 150 to 200 selling music and t-shirts. It's a huge opportunity to turn a show that might have barely paid for gas into one that will buy your band's post-show burritos and a hotel room to split. Yeah, I mean, this should come as no secret. It's one of the things that, uh, you know, the genres that we specialize in, this is a no-brainer. Uh, in fact, I sat in a conversation at a, with someone and we were talking about budgeting and they were like, you know, we looked at a tour budget and they said, do you include your merchandise and VIP in the budget? <laughs> and I sort of looked at them as if, you know, they'd ask a question that exploded my head. Uh, but it took me back to a time when those things weren't included in tour budgets uh, mm-hmm. for artists that I was either working in or tour managing because it's a variable. But inevitably now, you know, to me, you say tour, I assume you're you're selling merchandise. And we've talked ad nauseum on ways to stand out in that way. Again, you know, you got to remember you're competing here and what wins in competition, you know, great great product, you know, great visual, great service, great price. So there's a, a whole, you know, slew of episodes that could be done on merchandise alone, but inevitably for, you know, I almost uh, would be shocked if someone wasn't wasn't thinking about merchandise, but one of the reasons we cover these articles is inevitably uh, there might be people out there that, that aren't thinking of that. Yeah. I mean, this does feel like a no-brainer that merchandise is an integral component to uh, maximizing your touring revenue. Um, But uh, it just needs to be said because maybe someone doesn't know. But uh, yes. And then I think to the the additional point of this is is that being smart about making merch, trying to find a place that will make it for as cheap as possible, trying to find a place that maybe doesn't have uh, a higher amount of minimums. Like for instance, like a lot of places do like 144 piece minimum, maybe try and find a place that will do like a 50 piece minimum or something. Um, You know, be, be smart about trying to project how many people you're going to be playing in front of. Like, are you the first of four on a tour? Are you headlining for the first time? Like, is there going to be 50 people there or 500? And then sort of project accordingly. That way you're not going on tour and running out of merch within two days or coming home with a shit ton of merch that you can't sell. So try and uh, be a little 
uh, smart about uh, when ordering and manufacturing your uh, tour merch. So that way it does actually make you money. Um, number six, have a band member tour manage. One mistake young bands make on the road is to bring a tour manager to take care of the odds and ends of touring. At this point in your touring career, that is not only one more hand in the cookie jar, but it's also one more mouth to feed. Yeah. I mean, uh, this of course makes sense. And, um, you know, look as a guy that, that tour managed and booked, you know, and did so much stuff for my own band, um, you know, uh, I, I would have to, to say absolutely, you know, simultaneously when even prior to, to doing that for an extended period of time, I, you know, quote unquote, I don't even think there were the term tour manager in the world I was in existed, but I was the buddy that went out and, you know, jack of all trades, the extra guy and why I was, you know, I wanted to do there. I wanted to be there. I was hungry, just as hungry as the band and was able to kind of add some value there. So though I think this is a great point, you know, one of the things that I told bands early on was don't even worry about feeding me. You know what I mean? Like, mm. <laughs> don't worry about the one more hand in the cookie jar. You know, I remember uh, on a, a tour in 1996, you know, I took, I went down to the local you know, record guy, um, you know, the distributor, uh, and bought a whole bunch of records at three bucks a pop or whatever they were and took them on the road and sold them. And that's how I fed myself. So just as, you know, we're saying don't quit your day job yet to the band mates. If you're out there, many people I know are aspiring. How can I be a merch guy? How can I be this, you know, a tour manager? It's like, don't quit your day job. You know, if you can keep some sort of, you know, thing on the side, if you can figure out a way to make money from other things, many merch people will go out and work just for tips. You know, tour managers will go out and, you know, I've heard them say, hey, look, if if we make money at the end of the tour, you know, I'll try to get you to make money. And if we make money at the end of the tour, you give me a certain cut. You know, there's all kinds of different things out there. But inevitably, going back to, you know, point that you and I talk about all the time, you know, DIYing it, at the very outset, somebody in the band can and should be able to do that job. Yes. Take it from a tour manager, Mr. Mike Mowry. Um, Anyway, that concludes episode 119. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back here next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blasco1313. We encourage you to email me any questions you have for the podcast at askblasco at gmail.com. If you have listened this far, much respect for you to making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands. Mike, any final parting thoughts? Check me out on the old Twitters and Instagrams at MikeOloop. And if you're interested in taking your career another step forward, check out what we have to offer over at OuterLoopCoaching.com. Um, this is another fantastic episode and actually, you know, (laughs) I'm curious, we have a lot of people out there in loyal listener land. And at the beginning of this episode, you know, he says, if you survey 100 independent musicians who have spent a full year touring, Hey, we don't have to have that large of a subset, uh, you know, or sample size, I should say, if you've been out there and you've toured, we'd love your feedback on here. Askblasco at gmail.com is the way to get it to us. So if you've toured and have tried any of these strategies, we want to hear, uh, what's worked and what hasn't. 
That's what I got yeah. to say. Very cool. Thanks, everyone. Peace. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel... They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.